I am Johnny Hollingshed, Jr., and I am here, thankfully and gratefully, to talk about the historic Douglas Theater, and moreover, too, Charles Douglas, who is a hero to so many of us, especially those of us with my background. And uh, I was a kid here in Macon, Georgia, and yeah, all of us aspounded to play sports, but uh, there was a part of me that wanted to be on stage, and I liked watching television. And Ed Sullivan Show fascinated me, and I'll end up talking about the Ed Sullivan Show you watch, and it still goes right back to the Douglas Theater. So. Charles Douglas, I first started learning about him in a formal way when a group of people called the Broadway Arts Alliance came to us in our classrooms and asked us what we like to donate to save the Douglas Theater. Well, all we knew the Douglas Theater was for you go watch the movies there. And we didn't really know the vast, vast, vast possibilities of the Douglas Theater. As we started learning about the theater, uh, we learned that the Vaudevillian acts would come by. And we also learned that giants of the music industry like Duke Ellington, Cap Calloway, my goodness, Lena Horne, Ma Rainey, all of these people played that stage. So of course, I wanted to play that stage too. But the Douglas Theater, uh, which had opened unformally in 1911, but formally in 1921, and then Unfortunately, it closed in 1973, and that was a great lull in between the time that the theater would start operating again. But in 1996, that was a great thing that happened. The Douglas Theater reopened. It was just a great blessing for me to be the artistic director of uh, that theater at that time. And I was actually a part of the first cast that did a live performance there called Oh Lord, Now My Mother. I would take my time and I would actually almost spend the night in the theater on the stage. I would go in that theater and just think about all the great history that was there. And I would just lay in the middle of that stage and I would just try to suck it all in. And I would hope that some of the spirits from that stage would just come into my body and propel me further in that genre. Uh, there's some great stories about that theater as well that under the stage of the Douglas Theater, uh, the Underground Railroad, came through that theater. The thing about it that is most, most capturing about the theater is it brings people together. And it has always brought people together. And if you find people who've ever had the experience of the Douglas Theater, you've had amateurs that come there and start their careers. You have professionals come back and do their thing. Uh, we were very fortunate during uh, the time that I was there that we got a chance to start what is called the Walk of Fame at the Douglas Theater. And this is really a place that everyone should go and see because all of these people come from this place, so many giants of the entertainment business. Uh, we were able to get Little Richard after so many years of absence from the city of Macon. And we sent this letter out and we just asked him to come back home so we could honor him. Little Richard came back to Macon, and the Douglas Theater was the host of him coming back to Macon, Georgia, and there was a play that was uh, written by yours truly that was performed for him, and I will never forget the statue of this man. 
he was larger than life and he loved the historic Douglas Theater. He stayed out of his many travels. He has never experienced the feel of any place as he has felt in that theater. The Douglas Theater is a place that everyone should come and visit. There's a feeling there, the ghost of all those performers there. They have playbills there that have the names of Duke Ellington and Cap Calloway and Ma Rainey and Lena Horne in that theater. Just to see those names in print, it does something to you. It's a special place. I was fortunate enough to be able to be an actual part of bringing in the chairs and the seats and, and putting the lights up and putting the speakers up in this new, uh, better, uh, we hope, a theater. And one of the things that anybody should do if they visit that theater is watch that film about the history of the Douglas Theater. And you will see one of the gentlemen that is sitting outside on the Walk of Fame on the Ed Sullivan Show, the lead horn player for Sam and Dave doing I'm a Soul Man. And it was none other than Newton Collier. And now, it is my pleasure to introduce this illustrious, illustrious man, the Dean of Macon Music from the September 2020 Macon Magic, the one and only Newton Collier. That was Johnny Hollingshed Jr. I'm Corin Young. And I'm Julia Rubens. This is the heartbeat of Georgia. Today, we'll focus on celebrating the 100-year anniversary of the Douglas and another legend, one who has a star on their Hall of Fame on the sidewalk outside. Newton Collier is Macon's soul man and known as the Dean of Macon Music. Newt grew up with legends and played alongside them, and he's the best to tell his own story. Part one. My school was a recording studio. I would like to tell you a little story about uh, this place. It's called Macon Recording Studio. In about the year 1959, which Little Richard was actually leaving town and had left town, and he had a manager named was Clint Brantley. Clint had these dates to be fulfilled. Poor Richard. He left Clint holding the bag. He called in James Brown. James Brown fulfilled some of the dates for him. Now, at the same time, Megan got his first recording studio, which is actually in the Georgian Hotel, which is right basically next door. But the basement of this place was an excellent echo chamber. So he had a young man to come down from Cleveland. His name was Ben Bott. The man that owned the company was named Sid Nathans. It's called King Records out of Cincinnati. It was number three in the country music and so at the, at the time it was rock and roll era. He brought in the studio. First thing he had to do was get a recording board. A young man named Harrison, Paul Harrison, 
worked over across the street at Guy White Radio and TV. He was able to hook up recording equipment, and that's what the first board was all about, the Harrison board. But now we need somebody to sing. Here come Otis Redding and a man named Wayne Cochran to be the stars of the show. We also had James Duncan, Oscar Tony Jr., and Jimmy Russell, and a couple more guys that were under him. The next thing you know, we need musicians. We had the excellent band called the Air Force Band, which called Cognac at the time, Cognac Air Force. Great idea. Let's go to the high school and get some young kids and teach them so they could be our alternative little band. Go to Ballahuston High School, talk to Mr. Robert Scott, our band director. Now we have about seven or eight kids that come down here in the afternoons. Want to learn music? You learn it from these guys. You have to realize at that time, Macon did not have a filter school for the high school band. So this would be your first time, basically, after you learn to play the instrument, to see, can you play the instrument with other professionals? You'll come in the studio, I say about 5, 6 o'clock in the afternoon, and we'll set up. Set up means we get the sound together. We have the drummer, keyboard player, and the guitar player and bass player. They'll first bike the system up. And about the time they get through doing this, the guys from the Air Force band, still in their royal blue, beautiful Air Force uniforms, will start coming in. Whatever song we're working on, we have already been trying to figure it out. Yes, we made mistakes. That's when they came in and corrected us. So within an hour, we are ready to start recording something. Within that hour of recording, we made mistakes. So you go back to school, take you up in the corner. The man that helped me out was a man named Sammy Coleman. He was a lead trumpet player. Take me to the court. Hey, man, I like what you're doing, but this is the way we're playing it tonight. It's written this way. You play it this way. Yes, sir. I learned. Next thing you know, we go back in. We take it down again. At about 10 o'clock, your lips are getting tired as a horn player. Because you're, you know, kid, you know. And all of a sudden, you realize you're making music and you can't stop now. So the pressure is on. We got to have this record done tonight, fellas. Yeah, Bobby. It's going to be a hit. I think every song that he recorded was a hit. I didn't understand he was taking that tape and throwing somebody in the trash can, so it was a hit. So that's where you don't hear some of the sounds. And I said, okay. So in our off time, when we were not doing anything, you get a chance to go sit in the sound booth. Harrison was the uh, so-called engineer and sound man. Something go wrong. Harrison opened up this board. It looks like a rat's nest in there. He takes a paper clip. He had it on his belt. He had two or three paper clips on his belt. And he's I'm looking, going to electrocute yourself, man. Not, not knowing anything about electronics. It's low voltage anyway. I don't know no better. So Bobby said, I hear the sound. He said, OK, it's good. Yeah, he runs out of the studio and shakes the mic. I hear it. He said, good, I fixed it. And I said, 
What was that? But it wasn't for me to know. I knew no electronics. And then he takes that piece of tape and tie it up. That studio had, uh, they were ordering silver tape. I said, why are you using silver tape? He said, because it's a conductor. I finally found out that that tape is very important. It holds things together very well. It will even hold up your engine in the car if you run out of something called oil. They tape it up, you know, run that, and help it keep it going to the next gas station. You find that out on the road because you wonder why they had tape. But back to the studio. Stay tuned for more after a short break. Startup Studios is an art gallery with a craft beer bar. We are also an art studio that holds several making artists who work in a variety of media such as ceramics, glass, metal, and painting. We are located right next to the Rose Hill Cemetery, and what we offer is a welcoming environment for anyone. You can come take an art lesson with our studio artists or just walk in, get some craft beer, and enjoy our art DIY activities. If you're an art lover, please consider joining our Koozie Club. It's $50 per year, which gives you 10% off any art purchase, 15% off for selected art classes, 20% off for all drinks throughout the year. Part two, back to my school was a recording studio. In here was a different thing altogether. They had basically closed it down. It's mostly office buildings in here, so in our off time, we'd come and hang out all back in the back, and hang out around the elevator. So Otis Redding and Wayne Cochran were part of the studio. That's where it's playing the band. They had, they had recording a song called Fat Gal. They recorded it back there. I wasn't here when that happened. But they were set in the corner and the song was made by, that was actually a heavyset woman that walked down the street. And I think they said, Wayne looked at her and looked at Otis and Otis said, there might be a song there. Wayne said, gotcha. So that's the song. Shout Bamalama was this other side. Bamalama was a guy that used to hang around Broadway and he was like a jive talker. Like Leo the Lions, little joke about Leo the Lions, go to the bear one day, Lord Bear go kill this friend, I got to get it, baby. Step up and run. So that's, he was like a, just an early rapper. And that was the second side of the song. So they put that song together. And one of the things that happened was, Otis now is seeing how this operates. He's beginning to say, oh man, I enjoy the studio. So whenever anybody came around that sort of gonna make it a little bit, Otis would always end up in the studio. Yeah, man, I like the way they sound. Yeah, like that. In walks Jane Brown one evening. Otis and Jane Brown basically lived near each other in Tyndall Heights. So they got along pretty good. And so James had brought some guys in from Augusta, Jeannie Brooks and a guy named Johnny Soul, who sounded like, sounded like Otis Redden a little bit. And they were recording. And so Otis said something to the effect, huh, trying to copy my voice. James said, turn around to him, yeah, but you know, I got him under contract. I think that clicked in Otis' mind. 
put people under contract, and that's what he started doing. Then the thing came out, oh, I need me my own studio. So in 1966, Otis had acquired enough money to buy a piece of property down on Broadway to make it his own studio. About that time, his records were really breaking. The studio was doing very well. Wayne Cochran, coming back and forth, all of a sudden, runs into Jackie Gleason. Jackie had a bunch of clubs, one of them called The Barn, down in Florida, on the beach. The next thing you know, there he goes. Bobby said, oh, Lord, have mercy, and took the engineer, the sound man. <sighs> Bobby said, oh. Bobby went back to the kids. You start bringing in everybody we think of in the local level that could squeak out a tone. We need help. The studio is going down. Sid Nathan's come through. Little short guy by that tall, smoking, stinking the cigars in the world. Being young, I don't know what a Cuban cigar is all about. All I know is he chewed half of the cigar and smoked the rest of it. He was smoking some other stuff, but it wasn't nothing like that. <laughs> so we all, we all sort of said, okay. What he did was he started getting James Brown mentally ready. James, you need a bigger studio, and we're going to just work you out of here. What they were talking about is out of Millerfield Road. In 1971, the studio moved out to Millerfield Road. Then they had a young man named Goose, Goose Goodrich. He became the engineer. While they were out there, he started breaking in Kavanaugh lines, Tommy Goodwin, a couple of more guys like that, Charles Burns. They all had a little group called Underground Railroad. Bobby Womack was on Otis Redding's record label, came to Macon to sign some contracts. Went to the Red Rooster Club where these little kids were playing a little gig. Me and the kids, they were, Mr. Scott has already tipped us to every song there is on the radio. They saw Bobby Womack and played one of his songs. Instead of coming to the studio, they decided they would join Bobby Womack. Downtime again in the studio. The second alternative band has just moved on. They call themselves Peace. If you go on the internet and pull up Bobby Womack, 110th Street video, that little band you see behind there are those little Ballard Hudson High School kids fresh out of high school on their million-selling record. The next group come through would be a guy named Kenny, Blue, and James. And they were basically from Macon. They're called the Manhattans. Kiss and Say Goodbye, the second gold record out of that recording studio. One of the most fabulous things about that was the Manhattans themselves came back to Macon and stood in a park and said, thank you, Bobby Smith and Mr. Robert Scott and Richard Dick Scott, their, their band director, who had gone on to be with the new kids on the block in the new edition. All these musicians were successful on the road because when we got out there, we knew exactly what to look for and what, to, what door to open, what door to keep closed. I was the second horn player to be hired with Sam and Dave, and I stayed with them the length of time. They gave me a chance to get to Memphis 
to be with Stax. And while I was at Stax doing sessions, sometimes they would be off. I get a chance to work with other artists by being um, third horn, maybe second horn. So I got to know Booker T, Isaac Hayes, and Carla Thomas, and Rufus Thomas, and the whole Stax rendition. Now, all those people came out of this little bitty little old country town called Macon, Georgia. And give yourselves a round of applause for being from Macon. Thank you very much. history lesson and he also loves to teach young musicians the tricks of the road and how to play on a pro level. He also teaches about music history from Macon so if you'd like to get in touch he may be contacted at newtcall at hotmail.com that's n-e-w-t-c-o-l-l at hotmail.com. To learn more about the Douglas Theater and the amazing work they do and to contribute to it yourself go to douglastheater.org. That's D-O-U-G-L-A-S-S-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org. Restored to its original splendor, you can still catch movies, concerts, and other performances there. Though their programming has gone virtual during the pandemic, we can't wait to be there in person again soon. We'd like to thank Newton Collier and Johnny Hollingshed Jr. so very much for sharing their amazing stories on this episode. Join us next time on The Heartbeat of Georgia. And as always, speak your truth. The Heartbeat of Georgia is brought to you by Storytellers Making in collaboration with the Grand Opera House from our limited series. Storytellers Making believes that it is important for people to be able to share a part of themselves, and we believe that anyone can tell a story. Storytellers Making administers Pulse, the heartbeat of Macon, a nonprofit organization supporting grassroots projects. The Grand is a historic theater that serves as a vibrant community assembly resource for the citizens of Macon Bibb County and as a performing arts center of Mercer University. The Grand seeks to champion excellence as the premier theatrical venue Central Georgia. We want to thank Greens Lounge, our home prior to COVID-19, and Startup Studios, our current outdoor stage. All the music for the live event and this podcast was written and performed by Justin Cutway. The Heartbeat of Georgia is co-directed and produced by Corn Young and Julie Rubens and engineered and edited by Aaron Lee. Julie Rubens is also the showrunner for this podcast. Additional storytellers making board of directors are George Cobble, Kevin Bradley, Anissa Muhammad, Lauren Beatty, and Tina Hunt, along with Angel Colquitt and Keith Fitzgerald Holmes as our interns. Patrick Pritchard and Wendy Hamm advised this project. The production staff at the Grand Opera House includes Joe Patty, Julia Rubens, Nikki Vincent, and Bob Mavity. This program is supported in part by the Georgia Council for the Arts through appropriations of the Georgia General Assembly and with funding from the National Endowment for the Arts. Further support comes from Macon Arts Alliance and the Community Foundation of Central Georgia. If you want to get more involved, you can find out more about Storytellers Macon at storytellersmacon.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Storytellers Macon. As always, speak your truth. The Douglas is important to me because back when I was growing up, that was the only venue we had that we could actually go to 
on the Saturday. Mama could drop us off, and we had a built-in babysitter for maybe about a, a whole dollar. You could stay almost all day, because with the Capricola, Capricola, you could get out of those little candy bars, and we could see the teenage show, see a short comedy movie, and most of all, we could see a feature. Now, for a dollar, you can't beat that in today's prices. And I want to thank the Douglas Theater for having all those shows. And I want to thank the people that run it for actually being long enough, being there long enough to say, yes, we did do it. We did stand within like to 100 years. And I wish they have another 100 years to it.